Good morning. As you're thinking, who's going to have more fun this morning? Uh, please open your Bibles to Genesis 29. We're going to skip ahead in the chat in the book. I um, had originally, when I planned on us working through the book of Genesis, I actually had a a three part segment of the book that was actually going to focus on the topic of marriage. Uh, But because our time is running short and because the central theme of Genesis is the gospel, I wanted to stick with uh, the stories that from this point forward really do show us the gospel. And there are going to be moments today where you're going to say, Stephen, I don't really see where the gospel is going to show up in this. I promise you it will be there. Um, But we are going to skip way ahead in the story to talk about a guy named Jacob. Uh, And this will be a famous incident from his life, one that you've heard. If you're a parent with small children, I will just let you know, uh, because of the content of this story, occasionally, and because I work with college students on a regular basis, I have a tendency to stray into the PG-13 territory. Uh, I'm not purposefully lewd or crude, but it's just the content that the Bible gives us to work with in this passage, all right? So just know that, and maybe if you have a younger child, you maybe do want to take advantage of our awesome children's church. Uh, But if you have have a child who is maybe 12 or 13 or older, don't worry, they probably could tell you about some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. Uh, But before we dive into Genesis 29 together, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father God, thank you for your word, uh, for the truth that it contains. Thank you for the gospel, God. The whole Bible is really ultimately about the gospel. It's the key teaching, doctrine, truth of human history and of eternity. I pray that In this story, uh, with an unexpected, unlikely sort of hero, uh, that we can see uh, the value of finding ourselves, our fulfillment, our purpose, and our love in you. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Let's start by reading verse 1 of Genesis 29. Uh, Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. Let's stop right there. Uh, For time's sake, because I'm only going to be with you one more Sunday after this, I couldn't uh, do the first part of the Jacob story where uh, Jacob is a young man who is a younger brother in his family living in the land of Canaan. His father is a man named Isaac, who was a son promised to Abraham. Uh, But Jacob is an interesting character. Uh, His very name actually means deceiver. And he is named that. Literally, it means heel grabber. But the the idea is that he is a deceiver. Uh, And the reason he is called that is because when he was born, he was a twin. His older brother Esau was born first. And they said that when Esau was born, Jacob uh, was grasping his heel. In other words, uh, Jacob, even in the womb, was already grasping for something great. Something fulfilling, something that would give him meaning, that would give him purpose. And when Jacob couldn't be the firstborn, he decided that he should have all the stuff that the firstborn is owed. Uh, The firstborn was kind of entitled to two things. Uh, They got a a birthright, uh, which was really about a lot, largely about prestige and prominence and importance and who you were in the family. Uh, But also, uh, the firstborn got the bulk of the inheritance. And so the first thing Jacob uh, seeks after in life is the prestige. Uh, 
If I could get that birthright, if I could have the rights of the firstborn, then I'll be somebody. I'll be somebody in my father's eyes. I'll be somebody in my family history. I'll have this great prominence. That's what I want. And so he tricks his brother Esau, or actually basically bribes his brother Esau, into selling him his birthright. But something happens. Jacob is unfulfilled. Jacob looks at Esau's attitude of, well, what's that to me? Yeah, I'll give that away. I still get all the inheritance. And realizes... The birthright doesn't bring him happiness. So what does Jacob do? Well, Jacob says, well, if the birthright won't bring me happiness, I bet the inheritance would. And so what Jacob does in collusion with his mother, who who is a lady uh, named Rebecca, uh, he he fools his father, who is very old and nearly blind, uh, into thinking that he is Esau. He does this by putting on Esau's clothes. Uh, He the Bible says, wraps himself in dead goat skin. Now, what does it say about Esau that his smell and his feel was that of a dead goat? I don't know. Don't know what that means. But uh, it's enough to fool blind old Isaac. And Isaac gives Jacob his blessing, which means that Jacob is going to get the lion's share, the, the vast majority of the inheritance. And suddenly Jacob is a rich man. But he ends up greatly disappointed again. Why? Well, because what good is the prestige, what good is the wealth, when you're going to be dead? You see, Jacob's brother Esau, was Jacob and Esau for twins were very different. Jacob, uh, Jacob was kind of the hipster guy who you see at the Starbucks, you know what I'm saying. He wears the, the horn-rimmed glasses and the skinny jeans and the, the tucked-in button-up shirt with the top button buttoned right. He's reading his novel with his penny loafers. That's Jacob. Esau looks like one of the guys from Duck Dynasty, okay? He's this big, burly, hairy guy who spends his days in a tree stand. He, he's outside, he's outdoorsy. And so when Esau decides he's going to kill Jacob, Jacob doesn't stand a chance. And so Jacob and his mother decide that he is going to run. And he runs to a place called Haran, which you will remember featured in Abraham's story. That's where God called him out of, but that's where Abraham's relatives live. Uh, And here's what happens. Uh, There he saw, well, this is verse 2. He saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. Then the stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. They would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. See, what happens here is the the Genesis author is setting the stage for a meeting. Okay, This is, if you're a chick flick fan, this is the meet cute. Did you know that was an expression in movie writing? Meet cute. When you have a couple that are going to be the love story of a movie, you want them to meet in a cute way. Okay, uh, and, and this is getting set up by the author of Genesis. You didn't know that that was an ancient biblical thing that chick flicks stole, but they do. Uh, and what the author is telling us here is that there's this big well that all the local flocks use to water. It belongs to, to Jacob's uncle Laban. And the way that they open up this well is that all the shepherds, all these men have to get together and push the stone off the well. And then they all have to pick it up and put it back on because it's just a huge stone. But look what happens. Uh, This is verse uh, 6. Jacob asked them, is he well? Asking about uh, his uh, uncle Laban. Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. 
Verse 7, look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. Verse 8, we can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and he rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. What happens? Jacob is talking with the shepherds. Is Laban here? Yes, he is. Is he well? Yes, he is. And here comes Rachel. If you wanted to pronounce it in the original Hebrew, Raquel. Okay? This girl is fabulous. She is gorgeous. She is beautiful. And take a look. I know there's something that caught your eye here that we need to deal with. Uh, when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh man, that's too bad. Here comes this girl with a nice job and she's hardworking and she's good looking. She's got it all, but she's his cousin. Now, depending on what part of Mississippi you're from, I may not need to explain what's about to happen next. But, but in case you're not from that part of Mississippi, and notice I'm not saying where that is, but if you're from there, you know who you are. Understand that in the Old Testament, where we would read that and say she was beautiful, she was a shepherdess, oh, but she was his cousin. In the Old Testament, to an ancient Hebrew audience that reads... She was beautiful, she was a shepherdess, and she was his cousin. Alright, so just, just know, it's the Old Testament, this is how it worked. But when this girl walks up, Jacob, little petite hipster Jacob, right? Oh, listening to his indie bands, right? And driving around his Mini Cooper, okay? Walks up to the stone that it takes several men to move, and just pushes it out of the way, and then waters the sheep, which he had never done in his life, because Jacob was a man of the tents. The fields were for somebody else. What changed in young Jacob's life? He met a pretty girl. And guys, there is no need for illustration here. Remember your high school years. You know you did some stupid stuff to impress girls. Let's just keep going in the story. And so uh, he told Rachel, this is verse 12, he had told Rachel uh, that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. And so she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. He tells the whole sordid affair. Yeah, I was born second and I, I kind of cheated my brother out of the birthright. And then that wasn't enough for me. So, you know, I kind of cheated my brother dad out of the blessing and, and, and that didn't go well. So now, now I'm here. Then Laban said to him, you're my own flesh and blood. In other words, stay. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Uh, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. What does the Bible mean when it said that Leah had weak 
eyes. Does, does that mean that uh, Leah couldn't see very well? Does that mean she was farsighted or nearsighted? No, that's not what it means. Because look what it compares her to. It compares Leah's weak eyes to the fact that Rachel is beautiful and lovely in form. Literally, it's, the Bible says Rachel has a nice face and a good body. Okay, so, so what the Bible is saying when it says that Leah had weak eyes, it's, it's saying that she was unattractive. Now, does that mean there was literally a problem with her eyes that made her unattractive? You know, was you know, one of her eyes kind of checking out the balcony while the other one was making sure that this section was behaving? We don't know, but uh, the, the idea here is that Rachel is not pretty. Frankly, the Bible very bluntly says Rachel's ugly. Or Leah is ugly. And she's had to live her whole life in the shadow of her beautiful sister, Rachel. Now look what happens. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, I always thought, until I got this sermon ready and heard what different commentators and preachers over the years have said about it, I always thought that the story of Jacob and Rachel and Leah was really a love story between Jacob and Rachel. That's what I always thought. Because our English Bible translates that word love. But can I tell you what the, the Hebrew word here that says Jacob uh, was in love with Rachel? It's not exactly what we would translate in English or understand in English as love. In fact it better correlates with our English word for lust. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a passion that he has for Rachel. And, and how great is that passion? Look what happens. So Jacob, uh, uh, he, when Laban asks about the bride price, he says, I'll work for you seven years in turn for your younger daughter, Rachel. The way marriages worked back in Old Testament days, I'm sorry, ladies, it was the Middle East 4,000 years ago. This is just how it worked. Was that you went to the, girl, to, the, to the girl's father and said, you know, name a price for this young lady. And the price that Jacob offers, normally it would have been a few months, maybe worth of wages, a month, two, maybe three worth of wages. Jacob offers Rachel, offers for Rachel seven years worth of work, of free labor. Now, that's an exorbitant amount. It's a ridiculous amount. It's insane. It's absurd. And it's just fine with Laban. Then Laban said to Jacob, uh, excuse me, let me see, uh, verse 19. Laban said, well, it is better that I give her to you than to some other man because nobody's going to make me a deal that good. Stay here with me. And so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Again, I always thought, oh, that's so sweet. He's in love and time's just flying by. It's the old cartoon calendar where the months are just rolling off the... Now there's a problem. That word, love, again... It's not the English emotional attachment sort of love. It's passion. Jacob is thinking, when do I get Rachel? When can I be with 
Rachel. And so he wakes up in the morning and thinks, okay, just make it through one more day and you're one day closer to being with Rachel. He, he, goes, he goes to bed at night thinking, oh, when I get, thank God this day is over. But you know what? It's one day closer to getting Rachel. And so Rachel has become the thing that Jacob has always sought. Is it the thing he wants? Yes. Is it the thing he ultimately needs? No. But what have we seen in Jacob's life? I know I recapped it very fast because we didn't have time to spend a whole sermon on it. Jacob thought, prestige will make me somebody. That'll fulfill me. That'll give me meaning. That'll give me purpose. That'll make me happy. It didn't. Jacob thought, oh, the money's going to do it. The money will fulfill me. The money will, will bring me happiness. It'll, it'll make me somebody. And it didn't. And do you realize what Jacob has done now? Jacob is now looking at Rachel and saying, being with a woman that beautiful, that'll fulfill me. That'll make me happy. That's, that's what I've been missing. And he's basically made Rachel into an idol in his life. That he's bowing down and worshiping? No, but what, what have we said about idols? Idols are anything that we put in our lives that we put in the place of God. And ultimately, Jacob should be finding his fulfillment and meaning and purpose in God. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, Stephen, what about that incident with the ladder to heaven and all of that? Well, go back and look what Jacob says in that incident. When God reveals himself to Jacob the first time, Jacob in that moment says, well, if God does this for me, and if God does that for me, and if God does this for me, then you can be my God, and I'll give you a tenth of everything I own. In other words, do these nice things for me, prove to me you are who you say you are and that you're going to do what you're going to do, and then you can have my faith. No. Jacob is seeking fulfillment, frankly, in sex. Don't believe me? Look what he says. Then Jacob came to Laban. This is verse 21. Jacob came to Laban and said, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. Now, how many of you fellows out there were, were the old-fashioned type? I did this. I know in the first service, I think James raised his hand. I think Corey did too. How many, how many of us were the old-fashioned type that we called our father-in-law, our future father-in-law, and asked his permission to ask his daughter to marry us? Did anybody else do that? Bunch of us. Okay, great. Anybody, do you guys remember that conversation? I remember that. I don't remember, I don't think I remember another conversation with my late father-in-law, but I remember that one. I'm going to bet that every one of us that did that didn't start off our, our request to marry his daughter with, Sir, I'd like your permission to marry your daughter because I would like to have sex with her. And if you're a father in this room, you're thinking, yeah, that's a no, Right? Not, not my daughter, no. Jacob literally goes to his father-in-law and says, give me my wife, I want to have sex with her now. This is what happens, by the way, when we take anything in our life and make it into an idol. Make it into the thing where we find fulfillment and purpose and meaning and our joy and our happiness. Because when one lets us down, which all idols inevitably do let us down, we just turn to the next one. And then we just turn 
to the next one. And then we just turn to the next one. And by the way, Jacob perfectly illustrates all the things we chase after in life outside of God. Jacob chased after prestige and prominence and importance, and it ultimately disappointed him. Jacob chased after money and and wealth and the stuff, and it ultimately disappointed him. And now Jacob is chasing after sex and a romantic relationship, saying, this will fulfill me. This will give me meaning. This will make me somebody. And ultimately, we're going to find out in a second that he's going to be very disappointed with that. And yet we live in a world today that tells us if you have wealth, if you have prestige, and if you have sex, you'll be happy. You'll have all you ever need and all you ever want. But time and again, what we find is what the world tells us will disappoint us. Look what happens to Jacob. Look what happens. So so Laban brought all the people of the place together. The whole town turns out. And he gave a feast. But when evening came... He took his daughter, Leah, and gave her to Jacob. Now, how did, how did Laban pull this off? Well, most likely the feast probably looked like Mardi Gras. Okay, you live on the coast. I don't have to explain to you what Mardi Gras looks like. You're only an hour from New Orleans. There was probably a lot of wine. There was probably a lot of good times. This party went all day and all night. Uh, plus, there were no lights back then. And back then, a bride wore a, face, uh, wore a veil that covered all of her face, except for, ironically, her eyes, so she could see where she was going. So it would have been fairly easy for Laban to trick Jacob. And besides that, what have we already seen? When we looked at the bride price, Jacob's desire for Rachel is so great that he's not thinking anything through. Look what happens. And gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And when the morning came, this is verse 25, there was Leah. And I bet if we took a show of hands, your Bible has an exclamation point after, there was Leah. Now some of you may have an awkward or funny or bad honeymoon story. I'm going to guess none of them compare to went home with the wrong sister. But that's what happens. Jacob wakes up. And in the night when he was filled with passion and desire. And finally, Rachel, after all these years, the thing I've been wanting. And he wakes up in the morning and behold, as the King James says, it was Leah. Can I tell you something? There are plenty of times in life where when carried away by our desires, our worldly desires, our sinful desires. There are plenty of times in our lives when we seek things other than God, when we make idols in our lives. In the night, in the moment, in our passion, in our desire, in that moment, they look like Rachel, but afterwards, don't they very often end up being Leah? They turn into something we we didn't want. We didn't ask for. No alcoholic ever said, hey, when I crack open this very first beer, I want it to destroy my life and my family later on. The person who played the first hand of blackjack down at Beau Rivage said, hey, you know what? I don't want to be able to pay my mortgage in a couple of years because I'm so addicted to this. The guy that looked at that first video online at night when he was surfing the internet by himself didn't say, hey, I want this to screw up every single relationship I have with a real woman from this point on. Uh, Ladies, maybe for you it's, hey, that first time that guy at work smiled at me, I I didn't mean for it to go this far. But in the morning, don't all those things look like Leah? 
<laughs> Look at the aftermath. It's safe to say, I don't know if Christian counselors could have helped Jacob after this morning, but look what happens. Verse 25, so Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. And Jacob did so. Why? Why? Was Jacob not in the right? Had Laban not deceived him? Had Laban not lied to him? Had Laban not concocted this whole plan? Why? Why doesn't Jacob fight this? Why doesn't he argue it anymore? But look at what's said. When Jacob goes to Laban... And he says, I served you for Rachel, didn't I? And he asks, why have you deceived me? You don't want to know what's really funny in the original language. I'm going to pronounce it in Hebrew because it makes it sound cooler. Just Hebrew just sounds cool. Jacob literally goes to Laban and says, Laban, you Yaakovd me. In English, he said, you Jacobed me. You did to me what I would have done. And the deceiver has now been deceived. And you know what Laban's response is? If you put it in, in, in literal English, it is not our custom here to put the younger before the older. And what did Jacob spend his whole life of deceit doing? Putting himself, the younger, ahead of his older brother. In fact, Tim Keller, who, who's actually a, a pastor of a Presbyterian church in New York puts it this way. Uh, He said that while uh, Isaac reached out in the dark thinking it was Esau, Jacob reached out in the dark thinking it was Rachel. And in this moment, all of Jacob's deceit, all of the disappointment, all of the pursuit of worldly things just slaps him in the face and he realizes that none of it's ever going to leave him fulfilled. But look what happens. Jacob did so. He he finished his week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave him uh, gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. Jacob's finally got what he wanted. He's got Rachel. To some extent, Rachel has what she's wanted. She's going to be the favorite wife. Does anyone else here feel bad for Leah? Leah was the older sister. But she was ugly where Rachel was beautiful. People praised Rachel. They just kind of ignored Leah. A man worked seven years just for the chance to be with Rachel. And in that seven years... Not one man stepped forward to say, I'll marry Leah. You realize, by the way, that's why Laban did what he did. Was that if he was going to uphold this custom of not letting the younger get married before the older, he had to do something to get Leah married. And so he figures, well, the only way I can get Leah married is to get some guy drunk and to trick him into marrying her thinking that she's Rachel. So now you see how much Leah's father and husband think of her. And now, if all that wasn't enough, 
Poor Leah is married to a husband who's in love with her sister and never wanted to be married to her in the first place. And on that note, we'll see you next week. No, I'm just kidding. On that note, the story pivots. Look what happens. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Surely my husband will love me now. Back in the Old Testament days, sons were seen as a direct blessing from God. And so it should have been that Jacob looked at this and said, Oh, you've given me a son. This is incredible. This is wonderful. Leah, this is great. This has totally changed how I feel about you. Only it doesn't. Look what happens. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved. That's how we know the first son didn't do the trick. Because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. In other words, she's saying, the last son didn't make my my, my husband love me, but this son, this will do it. This will make him love me. Now, maybe he won't love me, but he'll hear me. That's that's a play on Simeon's name. means one who hears. But look what happens. Verse 34. Again she conceived... And when she gave birth and she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. Do you realize what has happened here? What Jacob made out of Rachel, Leah has made out of Jacob. Leah longs to have her husband's affections, longs to have his approval. And now she's given him three sons, and she thinks this will do it. Notice what happened. Notice the sad, ironically tragic progression. He'll love me. He'll he'll hear me. He'll be attached to me. By the way, ladies, I didn't make this point in the first service, but I'm going to make it in here because there are a lot more young ladies in here. If there is a Jacob in your life who you think the only way you can get him to love you and show you affection and care for you is to sleep with him, toss that loser to the curb, please, on the authority of God's word. Yet, by the way, Jacob's going to be a loser for about three, four more chapters, I think. Uh, yeah, like four more chapters. Jacob's going to get what Leah gets. Leah, not Leah. I knew I was going to do that. What Leah gets at the end of this story many, many chapters later. So Leah is trying to find her meaning and her fulfillment and her purpose in being a wife and a mother. I heard one Old Testament uh, commentator put it this way. Uh, Jacob is the liberal who thinks that sex will bring him all he ever wants. Leah is the conservative who thinks that family will bring her all she ever wants. And by the way, both are missing it. Until the next verse, look what happens. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. And then 
she stopped having children. Leah finds fulfillment. She finds meaning. For, for, she finds God, actually. For a long time, you know, I thought that the fact that it said then she stopped having children meant that Leah just got to an age where she couldn't have children anymore. But the fact is, later on in the story, she's going to have two or three more children and a daughter. Two or three more sons and a daughter. It's not that she got too old. Why did she stop having children? It's because Leah didn't need Jacob anymore. She found her fulfillment. She found her purpose. She found her meaning in something else. Instead of turning repeatedly to a husband who would never love her as much as he loved her little sister, she turned to the God that loved her enough to look at her when she was the ugly one, when she was the unloved, when she was unlovely. He looked at her with love and with compassion and gave her sons... It was God who had been giving her those children. And when Leah finally realizes that and realizes his love for her, she says, I will praise the Lord. And in that moment, by the way, Leah grasps the gospel and shows the gospel to us. And you may say, well, Stephen, hold on a second. You've been saying ever since you got here, the gospel is that Jesus lived the life I was supposed to live, died the death I was supposed to die in my place, was resurrected and lives forever to give hope, mercy, and forgiveness to any who will respond to him in faith. I don't see that in there. Oh, yes, it is there. Because you see, when we were like Leah, ugly with the sin that was in our lives, God still loved us. When we were like Leah, pursuing the Jacobs in our lives, whether it was money, prestige, fame, uh, good business, uh, bad relationships, whatever it was we were pursuing, He still pursued us. And just like He showed His love to Leah by giving her sons, He showed His love for us by giving us His son. And by the way, do you know where that son was going to come from? That son was going to be the descendant of Judah. You see, God chose the ugly, unloved girl to make her family line ultimately beautiful because she would be the grandmother many, many, many generations later of Jesus of Nazareth. And when we, like Leah, can grasp the gospel, then we don't need Jacob anymore. We can find our hope. We can find our joy. We can find love. We can find fulfillment. We can find purpose in Jesus and what he has done for us. If we will respond to him in faith. So let me ask you, have you come to the point that Leah did? Or Jacob, the deceiver, has let you down enough. And you realize that every good thing that is in your life ultimately is a blessing from God. And that the ultimate blessing from God was His Son coming to live the life you chose not to live, dying the death you deserve to die in your place, resurrected and living forever, to give you eternal life if you'll put your hope and trust in Him. Let's pray together.